Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. We're glad you're journeying with us, and we hope that you find value from the teachings. If you'd like to connect or support the mission of Grace and Peace Church, check us out at graceandpeacechurch.org or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Grace and Peace. So we're in a series where we're going through the book of Mark, and we're kind of going through it thought by thought, and it's kind of a long journey. Like, we've been in it for a while. Uh, we're going to dismiss the kids. Sorry. Um, have an awesome study, you guys. That's right. Uh, trick them into staying. Um, yeah, so we're, we're going through this, um, the Gospel of Mark, and we're in chapter 12, and it's been a long journey, because we're just taking it a chunk by chunk, and um, this week, there is a really big chunk of scripture that I'm not going to read, okay? <laughs> I know that sounds weird, um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you homework, and I know that's just horrible to like walk into church and be like, all right, they gave me homework right off the bat. Um, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just basically give you a summary of each one of these topics, and what I want you to do is read it this week sometime, because there's three major questions that are asked of Jesus, three conversations that take place, um, and... I think to get to the point, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna take like the highlight of each one, and then if you want to dig in deeper, um, you can do that on your own. Um, but I would highly encourage it because these conversations that Jesus has are really powerful. Um, first thing, what I want to do is the title of this is three questions because Jesus asked three questions, right? Um, there's three different postures, so there's three different people asking these three different questions, and um, so we're going to look at their posture and how they come to Jesus with the question, and how they approach him, and then begin to reflect on, like, how do we basically question? How do you question? How do you question God? Is it with, like, a, what's up with this, or is it, like, teach me? Let me know more about what's going on here. Help me to understand. Um, there can be different postures and different approach to how we engage our faith um, and even different seasons and how that looks. And so um, the basically, I just want to look at these three questions and begin to unpack them. And before I do that, uh, to give you some context, questioning and the way that we question either comes from an approach of I already have the answer and I'm asking you a question and if I don't like your answer, I'm going to keep moving on, right? You guys have gotten those kind of questions? Um, or there's a question that's very much just into learning. Like, what are you interested in? You know, and you're genuinely interested in what the person is interested in. Um, and there's every kind of variation in between there, right? So uh, loaded questions, maybe you've heard of that before, <laughs> that term. Um, that can happen, and we're, we're going to look at that. And um, just to kind of illustrate this a little bit, I, as I'm bivocational, and so for my side job, I build spear guns, custom spear guns. And when I get custom orders, when people come in, um, I can do one of two things. I can ask them questions about what kind of fishing that they are doing with this spear gun, or I can just impose what I think they should buy, right? Which one do you think is better? <laughs> right? You guys know what that's like when you're in a store somewhere and they're like, no, this is the best, and you're like, that's not what I need. Um, and so when I have people come in, I've learned, um, through trial and error um, and some mistakes is to ask some questions 
what kind of fish are you going for? Because when you spearfish, many of you probably don't know this, but um, there are different size guns. Um, there are different size weapons, basically, to shoot fish. And if you're not, a, if you're opposed to fishing, I'm sorry, but um, that's what I do. Um, but and so you need different size spear guns for different size fish. And so if I give someone a way too big of a gun that they can't even load, that they can't use, that just is cumbersome, that's meant to be for large pelagic fish, it's useless to them. So I start with some asks, by, by asking some questions. What are you going to be hunting? What are you doing with it? And then begin to go from there and build custom spear guns accordingly. And, um, and I think that kind of sets up what I think we're going to read here, okay? And what we're going to see and kind of what we're going through. The kind of questioning that allows for understanding. The kind of questioning that says, I'm open to learning. I don't already have an agenda set and ready to go. So, the first part is, here's the three questions. And the first one is, should we pay taxes? That's the question you got to remember. So I'm going to condense them down, obviously. But um, there are... Two groups, Pharisees and Herodians, that come to Jesus and they basically want to stump him. They're like, we want to catch him somehow off guard. And these are two like opposite ends of political spectrums, basically. That's all you gotta know. And when they approach Jesus, they're like, one of us is gonna get the right answer, we're gonna stump him, we're gonna get him, catch him like off guard, and he's gonna be wrong, and we're gonna make him look foolish. So they ask him, Should we pay taxes to Caesar? Essentially. And and this is kind of like, by asking that question, it's a loaded question. Um, it would have some political implications. And by that, it would decide which side they're on. It's almost like, I don't know, I don't want to say the two parties that we have going on right now. But it would be like the right and the left coming together and be like, we're going to nail Jesus. We're going to get him, catch him off guard and get him to say something that, that doesn't work for one of us and puts one of us in the right and one of us in the wrong. And essentially, Jesus responds with, uh, you probably heard this, where he says, well, show me a coin, and what's the image on the coin? And so they grab a coin, and they see that it's Caesar. And so he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. Okay? So in Jesus' response, this is brilliant, like, if you don't think Jesus is brilliant in like the way that he tells stories and the way that he responds, you got to dig into it a little bit and start to see. But this is genius. So he responds with something that they all would have understood. And so we're going to kind of unpack that a little bit. And we'll get into those other questions, um, question two and three here in a second. So I'm going to start with the first one. Should we pay taxes? So he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar. On the coin, you see the image of Caesar. By Jesus asking whose image is on there, he's basically rewinding to an understanding that both parties would have had, Herodians and Pharisees and whoever else, like in the Jewish culture, would have understood from Genesis 1 that the image is important. The image of everything is important. So when they see the image of Caesar on there, like, Caesar claimed to be Lord. Caesar claimed to be all-ruling, all-powerful. Like, he's the one that you need to bow down and worship to. So, obviously, the, the Jews are like, no, we're not into that. We don't want to be a part of that. And so, if Jesus at all acknowledges this, then we have to be a part of it. And what Jesus does is he says, give to God what is God's. And what he's referencing is that image. 
We are created in the image of what? God. You've maybe heard that passage before. It goes all the way back to Genesis, to the creation story, where God created man and woman, and he said it was good. And he made, God, made man and woman in the image of God. And so the image, that idea of Jesus asking about what image is on the coin, the image that is displayed in every single one of us is the image of God. And so he says, give to God what is God's, because the image of God has been implanted in every single one of us. And so by him answering with that question, he's like, yeah, the coin, that doesn't really matter. He basically discredits everything about the political system, the government, Caesar, all of that, and he says, here's the bigger thing you need to do. You need to focus on what is God's. The Pharisees and the Herodians were trying to divide and create allegiances and say, who are you going to give your allegiance to? Who are you going to give your trust to? Who are you going to give the power to? And what Jesus says is, none of them. He says, you can pay your taxes, you can do that, but your allegiance lies in one thing, essentially. Because they would have understood that the image of God is the more important thing than anything else. And so he says, give to God what is God's, and that would be your life. And by him saying that, he's not just saying, like, give some lip service, like, go to church on Sunday, like, read your Bible a little bit. He's like, give your entire image, your entire being, everything about you to God's. The same way that you would give the coin back to Caesar if you had to pay some taxes. He's like, but you, everything about you, give it to God. So he gives them the ultimate, like, trump card, like, answer that's just like, all of that doesn't matter. What matters is that you and your life are completely centered around Jesus. And that is it. No political system, no political party, none of that. He's like, sure, you can maybe like have some opinions about those things, but your life is so committed to Jesus that that ends up being the central focus of all that you do. And their response is beautiful. Watch this. He says, it's Mark 12, 17. He says, give Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. And their mouths hung open, speechless. That their response was like, oh, dang, he got at the core of what we're really meant to be thinking about. Because all of them would have understood it, okay? They all would have understood, like, oh, he just got at the thing, beneath the thing, beneath the thing. We're like, we're worried about surface stuff. And he's like, no, what really matters is your heart and all of your life and what you're dedicated to and committed to. So really beautiful um, answer there. So that's the first one. Um, and I want to take a moment to really kind of, I guess, clarify that a little bit more because Scripture is really, like, Jesus is really clear about our allegiance, our commitment, our focus being solely on Him and nothing else. Um, talks about it a lot. And if Paul talked about it in Philippians, and I just want to kind of show you a couple passages so you understand where I'm coming from. But um, Philippians 3.20 says, but our citizenship, so like, who we live under, is in heaven. Our citizenship is with God. Philippians 1.27 says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. That the mission, the, the gospel, the good news, is meant to be the most important thing in our lives, the most important thing that we value. 
And so our citizenship is completely committed to following God. And um, Jesus talks about multiple times, like you can't serve two masters, you can't serve God and money, you can't serve the government and money, you can't serve anything, you can't serve people and money. You've got to be committed to this one thing. First uh, Peter 2.11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And so he's like, you are definitely a foreigner and exile. Wherever you're at, you're still going to be a foreigner and exile because your citizenship is in a kingdom that is beyond just what we have, the borderlines that we have, that we've drawn around our globe. It does not matter. He says you are an exile. Like you're meant to be separate from everything else that exists here, any kind of structure that we've created. So the response Jesus gives uh, cuts straight to the core of what matters most. Is your life committed to it? And so here's the second posture, the second question. So that was the first question. Should we give to Caesar money? Jesus ruins him with that one. So second one um, is a conversation about basically a... Um, person comes to him and wants to bring a very technical question about a woman who's married to a man who the man passes away and then in that culture that woman then would have married the next brother in line okay and what happens there is then he's trying to like come up with the most crazy scenario right uh, that could exist and so he says is like well then if that woman marries that brother and that brother dies um, and then has to marry the next brother in line and does it seven times. The story just keeps going and it basically happens seven times. And then he basically says, so when they die, who is her husband? When they die and go to heaven, who is her husband? It's like trying to stump Jesus again. And it kind of raises a couple of questions which we'll, we'll get into. Um, but Jesus basically responds um, based on the posture of this person's question. So this person's question is trying to like come up with a ridiculous question that probably wouldn't happen to try and catch Jesus in some kind of, um, I guess, uh, off state there. And so what I, another homework I'm going to give you guys is um, Google, will we be reunited with loved ones in heaven? I'm going to get controversial right here. <laughs> um, I'm not going to give you my answer, but um, if you begin to ask this question of like, who are we going to see in heaven? Are we going to have our spouses? Are we going to have our animals? Are we going to have our dogs? Like, yes. who are we? Yes, <laughs> we already know the answer. Like, whatever you answer, however you answer is fine. Um, he's basically just trying to say, is like, are we going to see all these people in heaven? And, and Jesus again gets at the core of it, which we'll get the answer in a second. But when you begin to look up passages that talk about this, it's very vague. Like, you can get into it, and, like, we all probably have our answers. If we pulled the room right now, you guys would all give me some kind of answer about, like, we're all going to be partying, and we would know each other, and we'd, like, see each other by name and face, and we'd recognize each other, and we'd just party in heaven. Scripture, when you Google it, if you say, like, what's heaven going to look like? Who are we going to see? Who are we going to be married to in heaven? And all this kind of stuff. It's very vague. I would challenge you to do your research and like really dig into it, okay? So I'm not going to give you my answer. But I would say question, as we're in this vein of questioning. Question it and begin to see what you come up with, okay? Because there are plenty of resources that will give you a list of everything it says about uh, heaven. Um, 
But essentially, and I'll give you a little bit of like my take on it, which kind of leans towards Jesus' answer here, is when Jesus had conversations with his disciples, when he sat in the upper room with his disciples and had communion, had Passover meal, he said, I will not drink this cup again until I see you in heaven. So that tells me that Jesus acknowledges that we will see each other in heaven, but the priority of what happens in heaven will not be relationships between spouses and siblings and all that stuff, that it will be centered around love of God. Like, we will be worshiping God because he will be the central focus, not my relationship with my spouse or people or dogs or whatever. Like, the central focus will be heavenward, will be God-focused. And so... Um, what we see here is in, when we look at that question, he says, like, will there be spouses in heaven, essentially? Jesus' response is beautiful because he essentially says, we're going to center around God. It kind of goes back to the first question. Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? Be centered around that soul thing. The image of God has been placed on you, and you are meant to bear that image to everybody that you encounter including your spouse, including your children, including uh, all of creation. And so the response here as we get into the third conversation, the posture in the, fir- in the second one is very much, let's stump Jesus again. And let's check out this third posture that we see where a scribe comes to Jesus with a question. And the scribe is leaning in to ask an authentic question of curiosity, of really what's happening And it says, Teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God and only one God, and to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbors as yourselves are more important than any burnt offering or sacrifice we could ever give, anything that we could do. It's way more important to love God and love others. And Jesus heard that the man had spoken with wisdom. And Jesus responds, he said, Well said, if you understand that, then the kingdom of God is closer than you think. And here's the best line. It says, nobody asked Jesus any more questions after that. Because he asked the most poignant question. And I think Mark does this beautifully in asking these three questions in a row to kind of lead us to, what's a good question to ask Jesus? And the scribe comes and says, what's the most important thing that I need to know? What is the most important thing about following God? And here's what he says. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, right? This is the Shema. It goes back to Deuteronomy. He's like, be so focused on what God is doing in your life that you just, that's all that you care about. And here's what he says. You understand that. Like, the kingdom of God is closer than you think. Like, you're asking questions that allows you to experience Jesus in a very real way. Allows you to experience God in a very real way. Jesus' response is like, you're starting to get the kingdom. Like, you're starting to see what this is all about. It's becoming a reality now. It's becoming something really beautiful to you now because his question was authentic. His posture was like, I want to learn. Like, tell me, like, what is the most important thing? And then Jesus is like, you're on the right track keep going. Like, he doesn't start to give him, like, ten steps to becoming the perfect Christian. He doesn't give him, like, any kind of rules or things to do. He just says, keep going. Like, pats him on the back, like, keep going. You're asking good questions. Keep going. And so questions 
they shape our lives. They shape who we are. Like they shape the things that we begin to discover. And if we come with an agenda, I don't think it works. I don't, if we come at God with an agenda of like, here's what I want to learn, here's what I need to know right now, he's like, really? Well, let's, let's walk. Let's talk about some stuff. And let's start to have an authentic conversation about where you are and what you're doing and what's really life-giving. What is good for you right now? What, would, what are you discovering about your life and your walk with God? And so we got these three questions. Should we pay taxes? It's horrible posture. They're just trying to stump Jesus. Will we see spouses in heaven? It's kind of like, yeah, cool, we can have that conversation, but it's kind of like a not the most important thing. Like, sure, we can dialogue about it. We can discuss it. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for it. Um, but it's not the most important. And here's what I hope we take away, is that our questions need to get to what's most important in life. And there's a, a quote that it's been misused by different people and different... Uh, referenced by different things but are different to different people. Some say it's Augustine, some say it's some German theologian, which I'm going to go for. Um, it's his name super hard to say, so I'm not going to say it. But it says, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. And what this tells me and what this points to is get at the core of what's most important, the essentials. The questioning that happened here was they were focused, about, focused on peripheral conversations. They were not focused on what is most important, the essentials, the things that transform life. And that third question, the scribe, comes with a question that says, what's the most important thing in knowing God? And he says it's loving God and loving others. And he just narrows it down, just like this very simple answer, because it's the most poignant answer. It's the most crucial question to ask and the most crucial answer to receive. Um, and so I think that should be our posture as we begin to engage questions, as we begin to engage conversations with people, because what we can learn here is how to have conversations about faith, how to have conversations about God, about the kingdom that I'm sure many of you have had um, that have gone really horrible or gone really good. Um, and I think the ones that go really good come from a place of authentic learning authentic discussion where you begin to really focus on the essentials and the non-essentials, the things that we all argue about, like are we going to see our spouses in heaven? Like sure that might be important, but it's not the core essential. It's not the most unifying thing, the most core thing to our faith. So we can have those discussions, we can talk about them, but it shouldn't be the thing that consumes us. What Jesus models, what Mark teaches us here is be consumed with the thing that matters most.